Howdy folks, welcome to episode 10 of Internal Budget. If you like the podcast and you're so inclined, be sure to donate on Patreon, patreon.com slash Brandon Mackey. Also, we have a very special guest next week that we'll announce at the end of the episode, so make sure you listen to the very end for that. My guest today is a fellow writer at Silver7Sends.com, where he covers the Belleville Senators. He also happens to run Twitter's Ice Coffee Hive with me. He's a hilarious dude and a good friend of mine. Gang, give it up for Spencer Blake. Spencer Blake, it is so good to have you, man. Thanks for joining Internal Budget. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Uh, so why don't we start off with you telling the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, I mentioned that you were a writer with me at Silver 7. So just give everybody a little bit of background to who you are, um, how you kind of got to become a Sens fan, and how you got into the whole writing gig. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm covering Belleville specifically for Silver 7 Sens. Uh, which is an awesome opportunity to to write about the team. Um, I'm a rare Senators fan in the midst of what I would call Leafs Nation um, because I grew up in most of my, if not all of my friends were Leafs fans. Uh, but I became a fan of the team. I used to live in Ottawa as a little, little kid. Uh, so my kind of early memories of of hockey was was the Senators in in the early 90s when they were just like a fresh team. So uh, it was kind of the the logical choice for me as a kid and I'm not one to, to switch allegiances no matter what, even though all my friends are Leafs fans. So I uh, kind of just stuck with the team that way. Especially considering you have every cause to switch allegiance from the Senators, as all of us do. Yes. Uh, yeah. There are many, many different things that have come up where it's like, eh, should I? But yeah. No, can't, it's, can't do it. It's been a tough few years. And I think if we've lasted through all this, I mean, nothing's going nothing's gonna to stop us from cheering for this damn hockey team. So why don't you uh, tell me a little bit how you got into covering Belleville? Like, how did how did that come about? Yeah, I've been on on Twitter for a while, uh, talking to lots of people that do or don't uh, blog for the Senators, and I kind of got into uh, you know interacting pretty regularly with Silver Seven writers uh, a couple years ago, and then they posted a, an opening to start covering Belleville. I lived in Toronto at the time. I live in Kitchener now. Um, so it seemed even more convenient because I could hop on the 401 and drive down to games. It's a little more difficult to get there live now. Right. Um, but yeah, I just kind of, I tossed out my my application, didn't have too much writing experience. And I just thought, hey, why not? And they picked me. And the rest is history. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty eerily similar to the way I did it too. Uh, the posting came out. Um, when did you, what was your first year? I was thinking about that the other day. I think my first, yeah, last year. It was when they, I, I never covered Binghamton. It was when they moved to to Belleville. Was when gotcha. I was covering it. So gotcha. I got to, yeah, I got to be there for the inaugural season and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so you would have been there a season before me, I think, because, yeah, because yeah, I'm coming up on two years this summer. But, yeah, uh, that checks out. Yeah, but why, yeah, but why Belleville specifically? Is it something that you offered to do, or was it something you were asked to do? Something that just kind of interested you? Yeah, I kind of 
I mean, it was it was the only posting at the time. I probably would have tossed my hat in the ring regardless I see. Uh, for, for Silver 7. But uh, I also often find myself, you know, slightly more interested in the prospects and the, you know, the what ifs and the, you know, projections and that kind of stuff than I do with the, the team full time, I guess. So it kind of was a, a good a good fit for me. You know, I, I often find I pay more attention to. Uh, you know, the, whichever kids are in the OHL or, or, you know, I love watching the world juniors. I like kind of looking at, you know, what could be in the future. And so it was kind of a, a nice marriage between, you know, being a, a fan of the Sens in general and having the opportunity to, to write about, you know, the prospects a little bit more than the, you know, full-fledged NHLers. It's something I definitely appreciate the work that you and Ari and Colin do, because I, I obviously focus more on the actual NHL side of it. Right. So, um, so I find myself a lot of times, you know, not knowing about prospects or kids that are coming up in the OHL or in Europe or whatever. And you guys always have a great handle on it. I've asked you a bunch of times questions about Belleville this year, just because I just, you know, there's only so many hours in a week, right? You know, I have, you know, watching every Sens game is, uh, is a lot for me given my schedule. And I've mentioned it before. I think if I try to watch any more hockey, my girlfriend's going to kill me in my sleep. So, so I appreciate the input of you guys who keep your finger on the pulse and keep tabs on those things for the rest of us. And uh, I was actually looking forward to, you know, purchasing my AHL TV subscription for the AHL playoffs and watching those yeah. Belleville kids make their Calder Cup run. But it looks like now that's, we'll say, shrouded in a lot of doubt. There's been a lot of rumors circulating that the AHL season is going to be canceled. I don't believe it's official yet, but we've heard from a couple of people just through the Twitter sphere that that's something that sounds probable at this point. What are your thoughts on it, Spencer? Do you see do you see us getting even a condensed AHL playoff or do you think the season is done? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. There there's so many what ifs about this the way this season ended. Uh, of course, or sorry, I guess hasn't ended technically. Uh, the way it delayed or paused, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, I I go back and forth. I think the I think the amount of effort that would need to be put in for the revenue gained from an NHL perspective makes more sense for the NHL to return and kind of run through the summer uh, and and still make their money. I'm not sure, just from a business standpoint it makes enough sense for the AHL to come back if we're, I mean, if we're not talking about, you know, hockey in, in April or May, which based on everything we're reading seems unlikely anyways. Um, I, I don't think that the AHL is going to put in the effort and the time and everything to, uh, you know, run the end of the season and the playoffs through July and August. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm gambling, I'm going with an, the AHL season's probably done, uh, you know, barring some kind of, miracle to this current pandemic i don't see it happening either the problem is and i think this is something that a lot of people aren't taking into consideration is it needs to be such a concerted effort across the continent right we're like us in canada um i i hesitate to get complacent about anything but as of right now it seems like we have a better handle on it than the united states does 
and my heart goes out to our listeners and everybody in the States. Um, I really hope you guys are staying safe and healthy. So you think about all the cities and states and provinces that have teams, you know, and if every single one of them doesn't have this thing under control and not just under control, pretty much eliminated, it ain't going to happen. And you, and you, like you mentioned, it's, it comes down to a revenue thing. The AHL isn't exactly a, a lucrative business on the level that the NHL is, for example. So the effort that would have to go into it and the financial strain that would probably probably be put on the league, um, I don't see it being worth it. Honestly, at this point, I'm not optimistic that the NHL is going to come back. And I hate saying that because playoff hockey is 100% my favorite time of year. I'm a big football fan too. So when I see, so that that's a lot for me to say, you know what I mean? Like football, I played football, like it was my life for close to 10 years. So that just goes to show you how much we all enjoy the NHL playoffs and how important it is to us. Not even just as a, from a sports perspective, like culturally, culturally, right? Like in Canada, that's who we are. Um, that's the time when we all kind of come together. So for that to be gone, it's just, it's almost incomprehensible, but I don't think there's a way, especially on the AHL side of things, that they can that they can do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense, and I, and I completely agree. Uh, as much as you know, thinking about uh, watching playoff hockey, you know, on the patio in August does sound like a really awesome way to spend my summer. Yeah, um, you know, that's I think that's that's a bit too much of a daydream to me. I don't think it's. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen, but um, I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, it's not fair to the players either. And it's such the ripple effect that you have to think about, too. Um, The fact that you push the playoffs back, then you probably push the the start of next season back and how that affects the season after. Do you go with a condensed season, maybe a 60-game season next year? I don't see a way that it works logistically. And the other part of the equation, too, and I hate to even say this, if this thing kind of settles down in the summer, there's probably a second wave coming in the fall and in the winter, right? So for all we know, things could go back to normal or whatever our new normal is. Sports could start up again, and then in November, December, we're shut down again because there's another outbreak, and maybe it's even worse than the last one, or maybe it's not. Maybe this doesn't happen. But there is just there's so much unknowns right now especially when you consider that, you know, the testing that's been done in Canada and the U.S., for all we know, there's thousands of people that have this that haven't been tested. And, you know, I I shudder to think about the outbreak that could cause. But I think we're making steps in the right direction. I think a lot of people are doing the social distancing things, the government stepping in and taking some measures that hopefully are going to work and not to stray away from the hockey aspect of this because that's what we're here for. But when you think of the concerted effort that it would take and the amount of things that would need to go right for us to even have a condensed playoff, it just doesn't seem logistically plausible or prudent to me. And from a Belleville perspective, that hurts, man, because this is a team that was primed for a run. 
you know, they even had guys in the NHL playing in Ottawa that were probably going to be sent down for this playoff run and have a real impact on the team. Marcus Hogberg turned into an NHL goaltender this year. So now you have not just Joey Decord and Philip Gustafson who are tearing it up down there. You got Marcus Hogberg, who's who's a guy who's dominant in the NHL. And you throw him in the AHL, he's going to be it was going to be lights out. You send Christian Willannon back down. You have him with Branstrom. You know, you have Yarosh down there, Batherson, Brown, all those kids. Like, did you see a way that this team wouldn't win the Calder Cup? As a guy who watched them night in and night out, um, was there? Do you think there was anything that would have held them back from going all the way? I don't think there was anything that they would have done that would hold them back from going all the way. But I do think, you know, the answer to the question, what could stop them? I think the answer to that is the Milwaukee Admirals. Um, you know, they were the top team in the league um, as of the you know delay or pause in the in the season. That's, that's Nashville's uh, farm team, right? right? Yeah, that's Nashville's okay. team. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to. No, no, it's good. Um, yeah, and so they, you know, they had 90 points on the season, whereas Belleville was sitting with 81. So it wasn't a big difference. And you know, their head-to-head matchups were both Milwaukee wins this season, but they were close, 4-2 and 2-1, I think. Um, but the big difference maker, I think, between the two teams, which would have been kind of the the only roadblock I would see from a, a deep, if not championship, run for Belleville, was that Belleville did or does lead the league in goals for. But second place right behind them is, is Milwaukee. And then if you flip that, Milwaukee leads the league in least goals against, and Belleville is 26th. Right. So the, the big difference is, you know, Milwaukee appears to be, on paper and in most games, a more well-rounded team, especially on the defensive side of things. Um, but I do think it would have made for a hell of a final. I think well, it was Belleville versus Milwaukee because of the, you know, the offense that would have came out of that between those two teams would have been pretty awesome to see. Yeah, well, even when you think about Belleville's blue line going in right now, uh, Branstrom was hurt, Willan and Yaros were both in the NHL, if I'm not mistaken, England too. So they were kind of playing with essentially an ECHL blue line for much of the last stretch of what we got of the season, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so they and they, you know, on the on the flip side as well, you know, Milwaukee do, does play in a uh, much weaker division. Right. Mm. So there are there are a couple points, you know, that that help Belleville's case in that way. But, you know, for example, third place in the central was uh, Grand Rapids. But with their point total, they would have been seventh in the north. Gotcha. So it's it's a, you know, Milwaukee and um, who was behind them? I can't remember. Uh, Iowa uh, were you know one, two in central. And then there was really no one else that could compete. So that could be a case to be made against Milwaukee that they had a bit of an easier competition throughout the year. But um, yeah, I mean, Belleville's reinforcements plus Milwaukee just being a really good team would have been a pretty awesome final to see. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Belleville had a slower start to the season too. Did they not? They didn't start heating up until November, December, right? I remember yeah. Hogberg struggling early and Gustafson struggling early and they just, it seemed like they just couldn't get anything going. And it was almost, and this, again, this is from a, a casual perspective, right? I don't watch every Belleville game as much as I would like to, but they didn't seem like they were really a cohesive unit until November, December, after Logan Brown had that stint in the NHL. Um, Batherson had his stint, but they were already pretty hot at that point that was when Norris and Formanton started picking up uh was there any 
do you think that plays into it too that it kind of just took Belleville a longer time to come together yeah it's definitely possible um you know when you, and when you think about it you know the the big players on Belleville there are a few you know AHL vets that that did well um this season but most of them were you know first time AHLers right first time yeah, players, yeah. you know Josh Norris Alex Formanton they were bound to take a little time to to get to where they were now at the beginning of the season if you had told me either Formanton or Norris would have had the season they would have had I probably would have laughed at you a little bit mm-hmm. uh, I didn't think I didn't think something like that was going to happen um, but you're right. I mean, the, the beginning of the season, October wasn't great for Belleville. Uh, I can't quite recall what their record was, but I don't think it was much better than 500 at that point over the first you know, 10-ish games of the season. Um, it really was until November where, where things got really good. And then December uh, to basically the end of the year was lights out for Belleville. So uh, you're right. I mean, there, there's a lot of factors there. It could have been a case where, where Belleville ran through everyone, Milwaukee included in the playoffs. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a tough start to the season, and you know Hogberg's save percentage in the AHL this year does not at all reflect on exactly how I think his season has gone. You brought up Formanton and Norris and those guys, and I think one of the things that we as Sense fans were really really happy this year in terms of Belleville and the prospects was improvement. You brought they brought up Drake Batherson this year, and he was an NHL player from the get-go night and day from last year bigger stronger more confident more aggressive Uh, his puck handling I thought was better he just was a new player and Formanton and Norris were both a a level up from where they were last year Formanton obviously playing in London in the OHL and Norris at uh, Michigan so what about the other guys? We saw Brandstrom get an extended look in the NHL this year just out of necessity with the Wolanin injury. Um, I think a lot of people found his performance kind of underwhelming because he didn't put up numbers. I thought he did great. Uh, obviously not a t- an upper-tier guy just yet, but I thought he was solid night in and night out for the most part. Uh, Logan Brown had his stint where he was brought up, and he started off really well and then the wheels kind of fell off from there when those guys both got sent back down did you see improvement from them uh, or did you see kind of just the same like it's going to take another year for those guys to kind of be NHL players or did they make strides if that makes sense yeah that makes sense I would say uh, one more than the other Uh, I would think I would say uh, Branstrom specifically came down and you saw the improvement. It did take a game or two uh, for him to to kind of you know trust the process. I think there was a there was a quote from from Mann after his first or second game. It was basically outlining how Branstrom needs to remember that you know the rest of the team is out there. Uh, he was trying to do too much himself. Uh, and once he kind of settled things down back in the AHL, I mean his uh, point per game last season with Chicago and Belleville versus this season, granted smaller sample size because they only played 27 games in the AHL, um, what went from 0.64 to 0.84. So there, there was definitely an improvement in that sense. Um, my only concern with Brandstrom at this point is that, you know, he is excellent with everything when he has the puck. Um, when he doesn't, he's still good, but there's definitely room for improvement there, especially as much as I hate to say it for a defenseman who is smaller um, he doesn't have the the big body to necessarily win the physical battle, so he has to be more intelligent with it when he's in his own zone. Um, Logan Brown, on the other hand, I didn't see 
an improvement partially because I think he's just outgrown the AHL. I don't think he should be there anymore. Um, I think he should be in the NHL, at least playing third line minutes while he's getting used to things Um, because he kind of, he's a, he's a big skilled guy that, and that kind of lends well to the AHL. The AHL is a little more physical um, than the NHL is modern day NHL is anyways. Um, and being a bigger guy, he's not a physical guy, but he uses his body correctly. You know, he's found success at the AHL level in all the ways that I think he can. Um, you know, has he put up insane point totals? No. Um, would I like to see him put up more points? Obviously. But I think that, you know, from those two, you saw the uptick in Brandstrom, but you didn't see the uptick in Brown, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's because he's kind of hit what he can at the AHL level and, and the growth that he needs to have has to happen in Ottawa, not in Belleville. The, in terms of Brandstrom, and you may disagree with me here, the similarities to a young Eric Carlson are striking to me. Like It looks like, and I, I don't want to establish that bar for him because we're talking about the best defenseman that we've seen in our generation when you're talking about Eric Carlson. So I don't want to set that as the expectation for Branstrom because that's not fair to a 19-year-old kid. But when I look at him, I see that same type of just ungodly offensive ability, just a killer shot, great vision, impeccable passing. But I also see that same tendency to try to do everything by himself, like you said, that Carlson used to do when he was younger. Uh, when he couldn't quite execute it yet. We've seen the same thing kind of out of Shabbat this year. Is that, do you see those same things that I see out of Brandstrom? Do you see that kind of Carlson at like template or am I just, am I off base there? I don't think you're off base. Um, I think it's, I, I probably only because, you know, that, as you said, you know, setting that bar is up pretty darn high. Um, but I would say that they're, uh, development curves probably have a similar trajectory, maybe in that Brandstrom won't become as good as Carlson, because I think that, again, that's a really high bar to set for a player. But I think that, you know, all of the things that Brandstrom is good at as a young defenseman, a young, smaller defenseman, um, is all very similar and checks off many of the boxes that uh, Carlson had at the same age. Um, and, and I think that if Brandstrom learns to play the game like Carlson learned to play the game and uses teammates more uh, and use, you know, his speed and his, his vision, uh, you know, both offensively and defensively. I don't see a reason why we can't see, you know, Branstrom be that guy for Ottawa that Carlson was, but maybe not quite on the same level. So I, I would say, you know, probably a, uh, you know, Eric Carlson light is probably the best way to describe how I feel about Branstrom's ceiling. I think, I think that's, that's a great, great way of putting, putting it. it. I, I, probably I probably agree, agree with, with that. that. Going, Going back, back to, to Logan, Logan Brown, Brown, though, though uh, saying he's probably outgrown the American Hockey League, I don't think I disagree with that at all. I don't think that's debatable at this point. But like I mentioned before, the wheels kind of fell off near the end of his time with Ottawa. Um, he started off great. He started off looking like a bona fide top six NHL forward. His his passing is unbelievable. I remember one game, I think, I forget who it was against. It might have been the Red Wings or the Rangers, but he made this just ridiculous no-look between-the-legs pass to, pass to Anthony Duclair 
from from the corner. I don't know if you remember, but it was just it was unbelievable. I did. It was just a gross pass. He's got so much talent. And then to see the way I think back to that, you remember that Minnesota game where they just got obliterated in the third period? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I had to recap that game. I was just I that one gave me a headache. But he was awful in that game. He was atrocious. He was horrible with the puck. He looked like he was laxed. And I, I don't know the kid, right? I don't want to make comments on his effort level or his attitude or anything like that because, you know, I, I, I would hesitate to make any kind of firm assumptions about him. But I believe we're at a point now with him where the question has to be asked, do you think it's an attitude thing that's holding Logan Brown back or do you think it's just a question of a guy who just can't get things to click at the pro level. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question. I'm not sure it's an attitude thing. And mostly I say that because I don't like you know him or see what he's like off the ice or, you know, see how hard he works in the weight room, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think that there's, there's kind of a, a multi-pronged, answer to this question part of it is a health concern um you know based on the number of times brown's missed time either in the ahl or nhl or ohl uh since he became you know a member of the ottawa senators in one way shape or form uh i don't know that he's ever had enough games in a row to of pure healthy play to get into the right rhythm i guess um and i also think the other side of it might just be uh, an unfortunate fact that the Senators traded up in the draft to pick Logan Brown, and he's just not the first-line center that uh, the team or fans thought that he would be. And I think that's okay. I don't think that he needs to necessarily be. I mean, obviously, it would be great uh, if he turned into that. Um, but I just think that maybe you know it's time to reset expectations on what Logan Brown's going to be for the Ottawa Senators, because I, I think he's going to be a great NHL player. Um, or at least a good NHL player. I just don't know if he's going to be that first line, maybe not even second line center long-term. Where do you see him falling into place then? Because you're talking about a team that already has Colin White, already has Chris Tierney, although maybe his future is a little more uncertain, already has Josh Norris. Uh, So many guys that can play the center position. You know, you're talking about a middle six kind of center there, right? So where does Brown fit in? Is he better? Is he, do you think he's better than Colin White? Do you think Josh Norris will surpass him? And if so, if that's the case, and if let's, let's say for argument's sake that both of those guys surpass Logan Brown, you trade him right at that point, or you cut ties like, or do you think that there's going to be a light at the end of this tunnel when, when Logan Brown is 25, 26 type thing? That's, I mean, it's a good question. I think that, first of all, and it might just be off the hype of the season, but I think Josh Norris has already passed Logan Brown, in my opinion. Wow. wow. Um, so I don't think I don't think it's a, a case of him maybe getting there. I think he has, or at least he will in the future. Um, partially because I think Josh Norris has a better all-around game than Logan Brown. Who, who will score more at the NHL level? I'm not sure. I still think it could be Norris, maybe. But um, I think that, you know, if you're looking at the all of the duties of a centerman at the NHL level, I think Josh Norris is going to end up being better than Logan Brown. That being said, um, I think you're right. If, if we look at 
you know, both Colin White and Josh Norris in the near future end up being better NHL centers than Logan Brown, then you probably try to trade him while he's still, what is he now, 22? I believe so, yeah, 22. Um, while he's while he's still in his early 20s, um, and some other team might see him as a you know reclamation project, and you still got some trade value. Um, that being said, I don't think that there's anything at all wrong with having you know, Josh Norris, Logan Brown, and Colin White in some combination, in some order, as your top three centers. For sure. Do you think the draft may affect Logan Brown's standing? Like, if the Senators get Byfield, for example, that's your number one center. So do you think that kind of changes how the organization views Logan Brown? Obviously, they may not view him as the number one center. Um, But if Josh Norris is your second-line guy and Colin White has kind of obviously established himself as the third line guy perhaps do you think the team is content to have logan brown who was once a top prospect centering their fourth line maybe even getting outplayed by chris tierney or do you think that's a situation where they say look we wanted you to be a top six forward you're not a top six forward we're not gonna have you playing bottom six minutes um we'll see you elsewhere because obviously Brown's game is that of a top six forward. He hasn't really demonstrated any kind of, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong here. Again, you watch more of Logan Brown than I do, but he doesn't appear to me to have established him himself as being able to be that kind of bottom six defensive player. Uh, so do we run into a situation there where there's just no room for him? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think if, if Ottawa ends up taking you know, one of the top two centers that are in the draft this year, which in in my opinion are Byfield and Stutzel. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I, I think that completely impacts Logan Brown's future with with the Senators because you know I I think Byfield immediately become leapfrogs Brown on the depth chart in my mind. Um, I don't know as much about Stutzel, but I would assume that would probably be a similar case or at least in short order, right? So. Uh, yeah, I think that if if one of you know if the first pick of the draft for the Ottawa Senators is one of those two centers, then yeah, I don't see why why you don't try to package package up Logan Brown and one of the many draft picks that Dorian's done a, a good job uh, compiling over the last little while uh, and try to you know add a defenseman. Yeah. So if they so if that does happen, and they take Byfield or whoever. Do you think the time is now to trade Brown or do you still kind of hold tight maybe another year in Belleville and just see if there's something else at the end of this tunnel? I, I think you might hold tight. I think you might see what, see what you have there. Uh, again, I, I just looked it up. He is 22. So he'll be, you know, this time next year, he'll be 23, mm-hmm. um, you know, either with another year in the AHL or maybe a full year in the NHL, who knows, uh, under his belt. And then you kind of evaluate, you know, next off season. For sure. For sure. I struggle to make decisions on guys this young. When I wrote that piece about Colin White uh, saying he's going to be all right and everybody needs to chill, I mentioned that he is, he's 22 currently. Um, Him and Brown are the same age, I believe. Um, In any case, yeah, I think they're both 97s. In any case, um, it takes time for these guys to pan out, especially at the center position, just because there is so much responsibility that goes with playing that position right you need to you need to produce offensively if you're a guy like logan brown but you also need to be responsible in your own end Uh, the center is obviously a position that supports 
the def- the defenseman below the hash marks, right? So they've got to be a guy that can move laterally and have good sense in their own end and break up passes and, and make defensive plays. And that takes time for all that stuff to round out. The Senators gave up way too early on Mika Zibanejad. Look at that now. He's a 40-goal scorer, right? So That's a heartbreaker. Oh, that sucks. That really <laughs> sucks. It makes me so angry. Um, I, I don't get angry as angry about it as most people because the Senators got... Derek Brassard out of that trade. Brassard was big for that 2017 run. And I know people say, well, Zabanajad could have been too, right? But yeah, we don't know, right? Um, I was there in game five when they tied it against the Rangers and won in overtime. And I can tell you, I was pretty happy to have Derek Brassard on the team when he tied the game in the last minute, right? So, So he made a lot of big plays. In any case, I don't know when the time to make a decision on Logan Brown is because my God, does he have some upper-tier offensive ability. Some of the plays, and again, I hate to set these kind of bars for these kids. But some Are you going to talk about Jason Spezza? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah, like especially that Rangers game where he scored that beautiful goal. Just the passes he was making. I'm like, you know, the size is there. That long stick is there. Like some of the plays he makes, I'm, I look at him and I'm like, that's Spezza. That really is. I, I completely agree. Just especially in that, okay. I agree with you on the setting the bar high, but it, yeah, sometimes you look at them, it's like, is that no, that's not him. Mm-hmm. I remember, and it's such, and I think he has improved since last year because I remember I was talking to James Gordon on Twitter, who's fantastic, a fantastic follow. But when Brown got called up for the game against the Flames last year, I said he reminds me of a bigger, more skilled Mike Fisher. That was how he looked last year, um, a yeah. kind of guy who doesn't always stand out but was in the right places, doing the right things, and just by having a solid all-around game generates opportunities. And this year, just he he looked like a new player at the beginning. I looked at him, I'm like, that's Spezza. So to go from Mike Fisher, who was no slouch, who at his peak was one of the best two-way forwards in the game, um, to Jason Spezza, that's a pretty big jump, right? Um, so I, I, I don't know, like... I, w- I want to see Logan Brown in the NHL, and I want to see him making those plays that he made. I wanted to see- I want to see them feeding Brady Kachuk and feeding Anthony Duclair because that was a great line when they were together. But I don't want to yeah. see that Logan Brown that we saw against Minnesota who you look at him and it becomes a question of does this kid care? I think some of it will have to do with his skating too. At Once his skating improves, we might see... We might see a more solid all-around game similar to that kind of Mark Stone when, when he was drafted. Everybody was like, well, this kid can't skate. And then he be- ended up becoming, again, an elite two-way forward, probably the best two-way forward in the game right now, I would say. So, yeah, it becomes a question of do you wait and see or do you try to maximize your return? And I think if you're talking about Ottawa, who's a team that – maybe isn't expecting to make the playoffs next year, but is probably expecting to at least like my ceiling for Ottawa or sorry, my expectation for Ottawa next year is to be anywhere from 16th place overall to 20th place overall. Uh, I think that would make next season a success, maybe not making the playoffs, but at least being in the conversation out of that kind of bottom 10 of the league. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think I see that as something that's feasible. Uh, Again, it's going to depend a lot on the draft in the offseason. But we've seen the makings of a really good team this year, especially if Hogberg continues to play the way he plays. Brady Kachuk is emerging as one of the best top six forwards in the game, just even 
analytics, fancy stats-wise. He generates some of the most offense in the league. He draws some of the most penalties in the league. He's a highly effective player. Uh, Anthony Duclair, I think, will, I think on a good team, on a very good team, he scores 40 goals. He has that ability. Really? Really, really. <laughs> I've said this before. Interesting. Uh, well, if you th- well, if you think about it, right, if he hadn't fallen off this year, then he scores 30 at least, right? Yeah, so, that's fair. So why is it a jump? Why is it crazy to think he scores 40? The Senators aren't always going to be this bad. You're talking about a guy like Duclair who hasn't had a number one center ever in his career. He was playing with Pajot for most of the year and Chris Tierney for most of the year. So if he can score 30 goals with Jean-Gabriel Pajot, if, you know, if things stay the way they were, then there's no reason he can't score 40. And I don't think he fell off his offensive streak because of anything he was doing in particular. He was obviously playing better in December than he was in January and February. But you got to look who this guy's line mates were. He was he was saddled with uh, Tierney and Nemesnikov for most of January, who are both very good players. But they don't fit his game, right? Like, those are guys who are two-way forwards for the most part. And now you have Anthony yeah. Duclair, who should be nothing more than a north-south winger getting open and uncorking big shots. He should be Danny Heatley with more speed. So, True. yeah, I, the way I, I tweeted when he was really tearing it up that – Anthony Duclair is what we thought Mike Hoffman was. I think he's better than Mike Hoffman. So if you give him the kind of players that Hoffman has been able to play with, like if Duclair was on this team playing the way he was, playing the way he is now, when this team had Carlson and Stone and Duchesne or whoever, or even Turris, he scores a ton yeah. more goals, right? Like, does that make sense to you? Or do you still think he's he doesn't have that 40 goals in him? I'm just I'm very hesitant to to crown anyone a 40 goal scorer. I think that's just a maybe it's a personal thing. For sure. Uh, but I I totally see your your point and where you're coming from on it. Like it makes a ton of sense. He he had a pretty great season this year offensively on a team that was mostly not good uh, offensively. So um and and yeah to your point. I mean if if he can score the way he scored playing with you know Pajot Tierney like guys that aren't known for their offense then if you can get him you know with a with a josh norris in the middle maybe with a logan brown in the middle depending on how things go um that yeah i mean 30 i can see 40 i'm just i'm i'm tough yeah that one i don't know i don't know if i can do it for sure it's a lot of it comes down to less time spent in your own end as well right think of how much time ottawa spends in their end this year it's it's really hard to score from your end i can assure you even for a guy with a shot like anthony duclair so when you have puck-moving defensemen and you surround Thomas Shabbat with more steady guys, if you get him a kind of, oh, well, the guy you should have got, Thomas Shabbat, was Dylan DeMello, but we've, I think we've ran that river dry. But, but If only if only they uh, could get a Dylan DeMello type guy. Uh, if only, especially for only a fourth-round pick. <laughs> But, but yeah, if you if you it's it comes down to supporting cast for me. He's shown us that he has the ability to score a lot of goals. If he had yeah. kept that pace up, he would have scored damn near forty. So give him the supporting cast. You know, it, it, he's not a guy that is going to score forty goals with Andreas Englund playing top four minutes on his blue line. <laughs> you know, but even, even but even. You know, if you give him competent guys, he's going to do amazing things. And again, it comes down to not playing in his role. 
You can have him killing penalties, that's fine. He's shown us that he can do it with his speed, and he's willing to do it. And even then, he chips in some shorthanded goals that way, probably. If Chris Tierney can score however many uh, uh, shorthanded goals, there's no reason Duclair can't do the same. Duclair's faster, and he has a better shot. So I know I, I, I understand why people kind of struggle to attribute that 40-goal thing to him. But to me... On a good team, I have I would I would honestly bet on it. I have no reason. I there's not one part of me that doesn't think he can do it. Uh, when you consider that the knock on him for the longest time was his attitude and his, and a lot of people just said this kid's not willing to do what he has to do. And I know a lot of people don't love that narrative, but I think it's fair. You're talking about a guy who played on what was it five four or five teams in his first five seasons or something like that. Like just a ridic- just a ridiculous number. Um, the Rangers, yeah. the Coyotes, the Blackhawks, the Blue Jackets, and now Ottawa. Uh, for a first round, or was he a first round pick? I, I he might have been second. I think he was early. Uh, he was he was third. He was a third. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Eightieth yeah. overall by New York. Yeah. So now whether it's whether the whole attitude thing was a mistake or he's gone through a maturation process that has made him a better player. I think he's a great fit in Ottawa and I think that he's got I think he's got that ability. Uh but I digress. Um I don't want to make this another Anthony Duclair episode. I've spent many and <laughs> I spent many a podcast episode gushing about Anthony Duclair. Uh let's talk about Eugene Melnick, because that's something we love to do as fans and All writers right. for the Ottawa Senators. I kind of got my foot in my mouth here because last week I said on the podcast, I went on the record and said, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Eugene Melnick probably isn't going to pay his employees, his laid off employees in the wake of this coronavirus crisis. Eugene Melnick has ponied up. He has, and again, I think the language of the statement that the team released is very important. They didn't say the Ottawa Senators have committed to paying their employees. It said Eugene Melnick has personally committed to compensating these employees for their lost shifts, paying them for the shifts that they otherwise would have had. Uh, I don't want to speculate too much as to whether or not he will follow through because for once I would like to give him the benefit of the doubt it seems like now is as good a time as ever for Eugene Melnick to come through uh but what are your thoughts on the whole thing Spencer um on Melnick paying up on you know if you don't think you know whether or not you think that he's that there's substance to it like where where's your head at yeah, I think that it's it's a rare day when you get to be, you know, at the very least not upset with something that Eugene Melnick does. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's it's a great opportunity for all those of us who have, you know, participated in any type of uh, anti-Melnick activity, whether or not that's on Twitter or in person with signs, with hashtags, with billboards, um, to say he did a good job this time. You know, he did what he should have done, uh, what every owner should be doing. Um, And not only did he do so for the Ottawa Senators, but he also did so for Belleville, including a round of uh, the playoffs. Mm -hmm. He's he's still ensuring that the employees at CAA Arena and Belleville are getting paid for that first round of the playoffs that they certainly would have been working. Right. And so, you know, to me, that says he he understands at the very least the PR aspect of this uh, in that, you know, there was already no coming back for many of the 
the things that he has said or done. Um, but this was an easy win for him. It's not going to, you know, grand scheme of things cost him that much money. Uh, and do I think he'll follow through? I hope so. I, I think he will. You know, he's come out and said, I personally will do this. So it's not even like, you know, behind the the mask of the Ottawa Senators. This is something that Eugene Melnick himself has personally pledged to do for the uh, Ottawa Senators and Belleville Senators, you know, arena staff. I think I think he has to follow through. and I, th- I do think he will, um, which is I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by Brandon. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's a big part of maintaining credibility is giving credit where credit is due. So, you know, it, it would be easy, easy for us to sit here and say, oh, well, he's not actually going to pay them. He's just saying that and whatever. Or, or harp on the fact that it doesn't excuse everything he's done. And it doesn't. You know, we shouldn't pretend that it does. But I think it's also important that we acknowledge that Eugene Melnick did the right thing. And he deserves... Absolutely. He deserves a, he deserves a pat on the back for that. It's been such a weird year for him. Um and when I say year, I mean, you know, like calendar year, you know, we had everything that happened last year with Mark Stone and Duchesne and those guys, and he didn't exactly make make amends with the fans. Then we get to the summer and Thomas Shabbat gets an eight by eight extension out of nowhere, which I think came to the surprise of all of us. I was shocked, thrilled, but shocked. Yeah. Uh, Colin White got an extension, uh, not a cheap one. And so he's doing good. He kept quiet all year. Then the whole Jim Little thing happens and everybody's irate with him again. And it seemed like all was right with the world again. And now he comes out and does the right thing again. So so I don't know where we're at with Eugene Melnick, to tell you the truth. I started saying last year, I don't see any scenario. And obviously I could be wrong because we've all been wrong before. I don't see any scenario where when we get to at the very latest, the start of the 2021-22 season that Eugene Melnick is still the owner of the Ottawa Senators. I think it's coming. I think based on everything that he's going through behind the scenes in terms of lawsuits and you know the, the financial struggles that have become very public, I don't think he owns the team for much longer. Uh, but that said, he does for now. Uh, and again, maybe you disagree with me on the fact that I don't think he'll be owning the team much longer. But as long as he's the owner, it's important for us to cover the bad things that he does. And I think we, we've all become very good at that. We've had a lot of practice. But at the same time, it, it, it's important to say, hey, you know, he did the right thing. And, you know, today he gets a break. Yeah, I think so. I'm on. I, I agree with you that I don't think that Melnick will be the owner of the Ottawa Centers for a long period of time. But I do think that it will be longer than would you say 2021 22 season yeah by the beginning of that season by october of 2021 yeah i don't know maybe it's just the pessimist in me <laughs> that <laughs> uh, that doesn't think that that it'll you know he he just he seems like the type of person who will and i don't mean this literally uh, i mean this financially but uh, take the ottawa senators to his grave um financially not literally uh just (laughs) um where i think that it's the last thing that he's going to let go of when everything kind of falls apart and i don't know how quickly or long it takes for that to happen when you're at that level of rich or not rich depending on how you look at it um but that being said i mean you're you're right you know i I think that the end 
there, there is an end point. I don't think that there's some you know, financially based on what we know that there's any coming back from where, you know, Melnick is at financially. And so I do think that he will sell the team eventually. Um, I kind of expect, I expect that if, if he doesn't sell the team shortly after receiving expansion money from Seattle, whenever that is, I don't know when that date is. I'm not up to date with that, how that's working. Um, But I don't, I think if he doesn't do it shortly after receiving that, then we're in it for the long haul. I think that's pretty much his like, you know, ticket out, if you that, will. That that seems to be D Day for Sens fans. Like right? that's so, the, that seems to be know. the benchmark, yeah. Uh oh, this is something we should talk about. Uh, I apologize. I should have addressed this at the beginning. There are now in the last week it has come to the public attention through statements by the team that there are two Ottawa Senators players that are uh that have tested positive for COVID nineteen. There's not much to talk about here. Um, you know, it's not a trivial matter. This is people's health. Um, it sounds like both guys are doing okay, which is fantastic, obviously. Um, interestingly enough, there it was mentioned that in their last release that the player was on the team through uh, through the California road trip. There was obviously some serious controversy at the time with the San Jose Sharks in particular ignoring the advice of public health officials and playing with fans and everything uh, in spite of the fact that there was a major outbreak going on in Santa Clara. Uh, so d- does that sound to you like this happened on the Cali trip, that that uh, that this thing hit the team? Yeah, I don't think there's any... I mean, I'm, th- I guess there is a question, but I, I, for me, there isn't a question. I think that's almost certainly uh, when it happened. You know, I, I personally have never been on a, an NHL road trip. I'm sure that surprises you to find out. Um, <laughs> but I, I expect that, you know, when you're out on the road with the team, especially if it's, you know, a, a few days or you know a week through California, there's likely a ton of time that you spend, you know, obviously with one another uh, in close contact. Um, couple that with, you know, the, the outbreak in that county, uh, you know, the likelihood that, you know, maybe someone who works at the arena, their waiter at a restaurant, well, like there's so many different scenarios and, you know, the timing of all of it, it just seems to make too much sense. But I mean, like you said, all all I care about, I'm I'm not even bothered with who, who the players are. Um, I just want to be sure that, that they're healthy. And then obviously, you know, everyone who's been in contact with them, also does the same, you know, amount of testing and and quarantining and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't think it, it makes too much sense that yes, the answer to your question is it happened on the California trip. Yeah, and that that brings me to my next point. Uh, I'm not going to say his name here because I don't really want him to get any more attention than he got. But there's a reporter out there who covers hockey, and he decided uh, to tweet out. Without any supporting evidence, it was just something he heard, the name of the second player that was infected with the disease. Um, I just want to say, this isn't a game. You know, this isn't the gotcha thing, be on the story first type of deal. This is a player, this is a human being, this is somebody's health. So, for this guy to tweet again without any supporting details especially the name of a player who has not only an infectious disease but one that's highly stigmatized right now 
one that has everybody scared and in a panic right now. That is a complete Bush League garbage move by that reporter. It's just repulsive that he would do that and tweet out the name of this person that is probably pretty freaked out. Their family's probably pretty freaked out. And now you have, I guess, half the hockey Twitter sphere that that is going to take this word as the gospel, even if it may not be true. And uh, you're subjecting this guy to all kinds of harassment and God knows what. So the reporter who did that, uh, and again, maybe you disagree with me, Spencer, here, but this guy's a complete jackass for doing that. It is just a, it's just gross, and I'm so, I'm so irritated by this. Um, And thankfully, you know, uh, Graham Nichols and Haley Salvian from The Athletic, they both came out and they said, and these are reporters too, these are journalists too that cover the Ottawa Senators, it's their livelihood. They said that they weren't interested in knowing the player's name or bringing any public attention to it. That's the right way to handle things, so kudos to them. Uh, But what a just disgusting gutless move that was to me i don't i I don't know it's not really a question uh that i'm asking you i'm just kind of ranting right now and again maybe you disagree with (laughs) but i I, i'm pissed off by that i'm still pissed off by that whatever it is two days later now it's just a gross garbage move yeah i'm 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 not a fan of it either um it's definitely something that you know there's a time to to be the journalist and chase the story and there's a time to not and i think this is the time to not um, and to just kind of leave it alone. And, you know, it's not really anyone's business, which player or players, uh, get, you know, tested positive for it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. I don't, I don't like that move at all. And yeah, I, I saw, uh, Graham and, and Haley post about that on Twitter as well, which is, you know, for, for me, it's the right mindset to have, whether you're a reporter or not, like it's, it's none of our business. And, you know, unless I've come in contact with the NHL player of the Ottawa Senators in the last month, which I have not, uh, then I'm, sincerely not worried about who it is as long as you know they're getting the attention they deserve and anyone who has interacted with those people is you know is personally notified so that they can get the attention that they need um that's that's all that matters to me yeah i had a football coach in my early career one time tell me it's not your time to shine it's actually your time to shut up and (laughs) and that's i think advice that i would pass on to the certain air quotes reporter who said that it's not your time to shine it's your time to shut up but yeah, um, moving on from that, because I don't want to dwell too much on that goof and what he did. Do uh, you want to answer some questions, Spencer? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so the first one comes in from Carter, and this is a really good one. What Belleville prospect is the most underrated? Ooh, yeah, I, I saw this one, and I'm... The problem for me, so just to to front load the answer to my question. The problem for me is because I follow the team and talk about the team a lot and follow lots of people who follow the team and talk about the team a lot on social media. Uh, I feel that most of the Belleville senators are, you know, if we're talking about underrated versus overrated, they're just rated, you know, they're, they're in the right spot in my mind. Sure. Sure. Um, But I do think to answer this question, I I have two players in mind. Um, One is not, is a Belleville player, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's a prospect because I don't see an NHL future for him. But uh, that's Jordan Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's 27 now. Uh, you know, he he did a full a full trip through the queue before doing a full trip through uh, Ontario or not Ontario, uh, New Brunswick University hockey before getting to the AHL. So he's a 27 year old defenseman. I don't think he's going to play 
you know, maybe maybe he'll get a, an injury call up a couple times in the rest of his hockey career, but I don't think he's going to be an Ottawa Senator by any means. But I do think that he is probably one of the more underrated Belleville Senators. Uh, he's quietly had a successful year, uh, 34 points in just under 60 games uh, and improved defensively, which is, was the big knock on him previously. Um, so, you know, as a, as a Belleville blue liner, especially with how thin the blue line is in Belleville, uh, Jordan Murray probably doesn't get enough attention. So I would call him underrated. Um, and then the other answer is uh, Jonathan Davidson. And only because I don't think he got the opportunity to excel this year, partly because of play uh, and and the players that are around him. Like he just wasn't able to, you know, hop up the depth chart uh, with how deep the forward group is in Belleville, partially because of injuries. You know, he missed a decent amount of time there, but he also did get the call up and played like five or six games, I think, in Ottawa, which obviously says that, you know, there's something there. And you know, I don't think they would have called him up otherwise. Right. Um, so I would say he's underrated in that at the end of his career, he will be or have been an NHL caliber player. I don't think he's going to be a star, uh, but he obviously didn't get talked about enough this year, partially because he missed a bunch of time and partially because he got overshadowed by how deep Belleville's prospects and, and exciting Belleville's uh, prospects are, especially up front. So I guess my, my answer is Davidson and Murray for different reasons. Um, but I think because of the amount of, you know, great performance and stories that have come out of Belleville, there isn't really an underrated prospect because we talk about them a lot. Yeah, I would probably have to give it to Davidson too. I don't think he's going to be an elite guy by any means, but I think he's going to be a very valuable contributor in the bottom six if he gets the opportunity. He's got great speed. Um, if he can round out his game in both ends of the ice, I see no reason why he can't be like a good third-line contributor for a Senators team. Um, from there, Tariq wants to know, ask him what apples he likes. I don't know if you saw this whole Twitter war going on between Tariq and Maddie, and I got into it too about which apples are the best. Uh, what apples do you like, Spencer? Yeah, this is a weird question. I don't really like apples that much. Whoa. Um, it's not... It's not, it's not that I like will eat an apple and think you this is gross, but I'm just not not an apple guy. We buy we're, we're a royal gala household. Um, but I think it's be, I think it's because my wife likes those apples. Um, but I'm not really a huge you know I don't have an opinion on I couldn't even name you anymore. <laughs> uh, what else is there? So there's a Fuji one. I, I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, a royal gala is my answer. But I think my real answer is I don't. I don't care about. <laughs> I don't care about apples. <laughs> oh dear God! Uh, I'm just gonna say this on the podcast. I like red delicious apples. I'm not sorry. Slide into my DMs and we can talk about it. <laughs> I'm willing to die on this hill. Uh, Bosti wants to know why do you think iced coffee, ice, not iced for some reason, Bosti, is not a common thing to enjoy. I don't. I think he's got off base here. I don't think. For those of you who don't know, Spencer and I, we are the official arbiters of iced coffee hive on Twitter. Um, we're accepting all applications, but we are certainly not making any promises. It is an elite club. Uh, it, but what Bosti's saying is, we don't think iced coffee is not a common thing to enjoy. I think we just enjoy it most, and we truly appreciate it. Do, do you agree? I I agree. I, I think my answer to this question is actually that. I don't think we think that 
as much as Bosty thinks we think that, <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't think it's some kind of, you know, elite group that Brandon and I decided that we were the only people who could possibly like iced coffee. If it comes across that way, I apologize. But um, at the same time, I love iced coffee. I've been drinking one as we've been recording this podcast. Uh, it is no secret. I have more brewing in the fridge upstairs. Big fan. I think iced coffee is better than hot coffee and I will drink it 12 months a year. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's funny because if you ever if you've ever talked to Bossy, he's the nicest guy in the world. Like I don't know if you've listened to our the episode he did with me, but it's it's funny, man. Like he's a funny guy. He's always in a great mood. Thank you. He's always in a great mood. Um, so I just picture him being enraged by us, like with this coffee thing. Every time he sees it, he's like, "God damn it, those guys and their coffee!" And he just get so I don't know. I get a kick of out of him picturing picturing him being just so irritated by this. Um, what? Because I know he's a he's a coffee guy himself. He is. I'm not mis- if I'm not mistaken, he spent uh, at least a little time, if not a lot of time, working in a coffee shop uh, as a barista. So I think maybe. Maybe Bosty just doesn't isn't feeling the love from us about coffee and thinks we're like, you know, on his turf, the coffee turf. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Bosty, I'm happy to have a nice coffee with you anytime you want, buddy. Absolutely. I got to make a trip down to Ottawa when all this is blown over. I was planning on doing it for the draft, but I mean, there's so many people I just I want to hang out with like that I've met through Twitter. Like everybody's just great. Um, but we yeah. funnily enough, little side note, I, I jumped on Skype to to chat with you today brandon and my last four or my last three skype conversations were uh, one was with trevor one was with trevor and colin and one was with uh, nkb those are my three last that, that's how little i use skype but also just having conversations i know, with, I know. Uh, on skype is just you know it's it's been a great you know a great way to make virtual friends that i like you would love to spend some real time with but being in Kitchener, that's not super easy. Yeah, it's been it's been great for me. Uh, I've tried to do the guest thing as much as I can, just especially now with everything that's going on. I think it's a good way to take people's minds off things and help you know increase the social the the social I guess interaction that people get. So yeah, I'm totally with you, man. It's it's a great group of people, and I'm really glad we have the platform where we can all kind of chat together. And I, I hope people are enjoying the podcast and enjoying hearing what these people actually sound like especially lunatics like bosty um, <laughs> yeah speaking of colin uh i figured this was a great way to wrap things up um because it kind of acts like another little segment here oh wait sorry first i want to ask you uh because i don't believe i've asked you before if you had to buy iced coffee from one place not make it at home buy it where's it at ah uh, that's tough it, it, it's tough because one one place you can customize it more so you can like get different good flavors. But then the other place, I think I'm a McDonald's guy. Ooh. To be honest with you. Iced coffee wise. I do. I like it. I like my coffee without sugar. And so I like it like half sweet. So I always ask them to put, you know, less syrup than usual. Yeah. But I'm just, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. And part of it is also I'm a, I'm a bargain guy as well. You know, I don't yeah. like to, to spend six dollars on an iced coffee so dollar drink days iced coffees at mcdonald's fantastic um yeah i mean there's also a place called matter of taste that's in the building that i work in and they make great iced coffee shout out to matter of taste beautiful uh yeah i like it from all over the place uh i love mcdonald's iced coffee too 
My girlfriend works at Starbucks, so I got to make sure to pump her tires. She makes me great iced coffee when I go there. Uh, also, Second Cup here in Toronto is phenomenal. Uh, I just say here in Toronto because the location we go to is at uh, Bloor and Spadina. And those and the staff there are great. Uh, we're regulars. We're well known there. <laughs> Obviously, can't go there these days, but uh, I'm looking forward to going back because it's great people that work there, and the iced coffee is just exceptional. Uh, but yeah, you like know, we don't have a we don't have second cup around here. Oh, really? Uh, there was one one I frequented when I, I went to McMaster, and there was one just walking distance from the campus, so I went all the time, and it was it was great, uh, especially their you know holiday drinks and stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah, we we don't have one around here as far as I know. KW. Starbucks had the uh, the Irish cream cold brew for Christmas. I think oh, I turned you so on to it, eh? Like you did, oh, you did. Oh God, that was good. I love, I absolutely love it. I'm hoping it comes back in the winter. <laughs> I like spicing it up every now and then. Sometimes I like just the plain iced coffee. Sometimes I drink it black. But sometimes I'm into like the the sweet stuff, like that Irish cream with the. Oh my God, that was, if you didn't have it, folks, you missed out. Good Lord, was that ever good. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Colin's question I thought was a great way to wrap things up because it kind of acts like another little segment here. Uh, Silver Seven Sends, folks, go to silver7sends.com right now. Read everything. Uh, but first, read the the voting piece for the Prospect Awards. You, yes, you can vote for our Silver Seven Prospect Awards. Um, we'll take you through our ballots um, because I don't think it's any secret. You probably could have guessed by who we you know, who we talked about on this episode. Uh, but make sure you go to the website yourself and fill out the Google form. Have your say. Vote for the Prospect Awards. So let's do this thing, Spencer. Let's go through our ballots. Um, I don't know if you've voted yet. Um, Colin's probably going to punch you in the throat if you haven't. But uh, we'll say you did. Uh, the first one is best first-year NHL pro. Uh, who do you got for that one, Spencer? Well, to, to start off, I will say that I, um, Colin should be mad at me but not too mad at me because the answer is i hadn't voted <laughs> until i saw his question and then i went and voted technicality so, uh anyways my uh, yeah my best first year uh, nhl prospect marcus hogberg for sure um i think it was a pretty easy one for me you know he, he stood on his head behind a pretty you know fine to bad roster depending especially on the blue line depending on the night you know, when, when there were those games where uh, I think there was a point in time where all of uh, Zaitsev, Hainsey, and Boro were all missing. And, you know, not to say that I think any of those three are exceptional defensemen, but they're still NHL defensemen. Um, mm. And so Hogwarts was playing behind, you know, a blue line comprised of Jaros and England and, you know, guys that probably shouldn't be playing the minutes they were playing. Uh, and he still tended to look solid more often than not um so yeah for me you know best first year NHL prospect is is hogberg i don't particularly think it's close but i'm happy to hear a, a differing opinion if we have one no i definitely don't i don't know how you could uh marcus hogberg is the only player that stepped into the nhl and consistently performed at a top level uh drake batherson did too but he didn't get the extended look uh for reasons just necessitating that he be returned to belleville but I don't think it can be anyone other than Marcus Hogberg. He didn't have a ton of wins, but that's because the team sucks, to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, his stats were really good. His goals against average was good. Even a lot of the games they lost were in overtime or shootouts just because he piggybacked them all that way, right? So I don't think it can be anyone other than Hogberg. 
This one we kind of touched on. Uh, who's your most improved prospect? Back? So it's interesting. I I I took a after reviewing it and thinking about it. I think I took a slightly different definition instead of going most improved. I think I went with most pleasantly surprised, mm-hmm. uh, which could kind of be considered most improved. But I've I've Shane Pinto down for that one. Ooh, ooh, um, partially so. He's uh, you know played in the USHL before coming to NCAA, which isn't it's not a bad league by any means, but it's not you know a top major junior league, uh, and was kind of a point per game player there. Um, you know at the end of day one, heading into day two of the draft last spring, you know I don't think any of us on Sense Twitter had Shane Pinto on our list of players we hoped that Ottawa would pick. Uh, so he he started you know a little bit lower for me in terms of you know hyper excitement. And then he was absolutely insanely electric this year with UND. Now, granted, UND is a very good team. So you kind of do have to take the, the you know, line mates, teammates into consideration. But, I mean, 28 points in 33 games. Multiple times he won rookie of the week, I think, or maybe month. I'm not sure how they award it particularly. Um, for his conference, you know, named to the all-rookie team. He led and he led or was like top three or five in most categories, especially for rookies uh, in the NCAA. Like, I, I don't know how you, how you look at his season and not say he's really improved, maybe just on the way that I feel about him less, more so than the way that, uh, you know, whether or not he was a good player last year versus this year. That totally makes sense. Uh, I went with Drake Batherson, um, not because he improved crazily at the AHL level. It's hard to improve on the season he had last year. But at the NHL level, like I mentioned, he was a vastly different player. He turned in, he went from a guy who looked like a kid last year to a guy who looked like a man and looked like he belonged in the NHL, in the top six in the NHL. So Drake Batherson gets most improved prospect for me. Uh, biggest disappointment, Spencer, fire away. <laughs> Uh, Logan Brown is my biggest disappointment. And only because I think similar to Shane Pinto uh, expectations, you know, I, his, his stats were, were fine in the AHL, like good. Um, he had his stint in the NHL to our conversation earlier in this conversation. There were some games where he legitimately looked good, if not great uh, as a centerman at the NHL level. But for me in a year where Ottawa had no real offensive center at all, you know, there, there was an opportunity, I think for Brown to step in and, you know, become a top six center in the NHL. And, and he didn't do that. So I think that that's where my disappointment comes from. It's not that I think that he's a bad prospect or that he won't end up being an NHL player, but I think with, you know, the opportunity to step into that role and possibly, you know, cement himself as a centerman in Ottawa was totally there given how the roster looks and looked at the beginning of the season. And and he didn't do that. So I think that's where I'm at on the most disappointed. Yeah. I, uh, I think the door was wide open for Logan Brown. I think he's going to win this one pretty handily. Like you mentioned, uh, that first line offensive center spot was wide open for the taking. It was right there for him, and he couldn't do it. Uh, again, he's not been horrible at by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just been fine. And the Ottawa yeah. Senators aren't looking for fine. They're looking for a top six forward. At the worst, a top two center. Uh, at a Logan Brown, they haven't got that so far. Uh, again, not writing the kid off by any means. He's very young. He's, no. very, he's very talented. So, you know, 
uh, I would be confident in saying he's probably going to figure things out at some point. But yeah, Logan Brown absolutely been the biggest disappointment this year. I was looking for him to be a full time NHLer this year. I think we all were. Uh, who's, yeah. who's your top newcomer, Spence? Shane Pinto. That's uh, yeah for yeah. all of the reasons as stated before. You know, looking at the list of options for because I think the definition of this one is uh, prospect who is new to the Ottawa Senators organization this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't see I don't see why it's not Shane Pinto. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Um, um, I really can't add anything to it. I voted for Shane Pinto, Pinto too. too. You covered, you covered, you covered you all the bases, bases there. there. Uh, a guy, a guy who we all, all kind of didn't, didn't know who he was. He comes, he comes out, has, out, has just a disgusting, disgusting World Junior, junior Tournament. tournament. Uh, uh, I think yeah. it was, was probably, probably the U.S. The US best, best player, player which, is which is pretty impressive when you consider the guys like they had on their team that are incredible talents. So Pinto's got to get it for me. Best defenseman, I think this one will be pretty unanimous too, but I'll start with you, Spencer. Are you, are you starting with me because you're worried that it's not going to be unanimous? <laughs> I'm starting uh, with you because you're the yeah, guest, I, man. I have Eric Branstrom down for that. Uh, yeah. I still I still think he's the top blue liner in the system. I did, however, want to give a quick shout-out to Bernard Docker because he had a great year with UND and was solid for Canada at the World Juniors. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that you know the high-end skill, the transition, the skating – um, there's a couple lights out plays that he had in Belleville. I think I, th- I think it was his first goal coming back, like that he scored for Belleville coming back from his 30 whatever games or 20 whatever games he had in Ottawa. It was just awesome. Uh, he skated through the entire team and and sniped it. Yeah, it's I don't I have nothing but good things to say about Branstrom's offensive capabilities. So um, for me, best defenseman in prospects wise, definitely Eric Branstrom. Yeah, it can't really go to anybody but Brandstrom. Great point about Bernard Docker, though. I love him. I love him. He's one of my top prospects. His World Junior especially, uh, again, just solid. Uh, I, I think back to his game. I think he was at the le- he was at least the best defender in the gold medal game, if not Canada's best player. Uh, he was so good in his own end that game. He was so good moving the puck up the ice in transition. Threw a monster hit at one point. I love Bernard Docker's game. He's so well-rounded. Uh, before the season started, I would have said in terms of D prospects, it was Branstrom and everybody else. I think it still is to some extent, but I definitely think Bernard Docker is closing that gap. And uh, I like what I've heard about from uh, Lassie Thompson this year too. Best goalie, uh, yeah, tough one here for sure. Uh, I'm going Hogberg. Obviously, who are you going with? Yeah, I'm going Hogberg as well. But a special honorable mention shout out to Decord. I, I think that he is a very intriguing prospect. A couple people I've seen, uh, you know, who talk about hockey for a living, uh, have discounted Decord a little bit because of his age. He is two years older than Gustafson. Yeah, um, but. And he's a first-year pro at 23. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think people also forget that guys like Ben Bishop didn't become NHL starters until 25, 26. I think I want to say it was 26, 27. For yeah, Bishop. somewhere around yeah. By the time he became like really an actual NHL starter. Um, so I think there's plenty of time for Decord. And his his stats are sound for for a team in Belleville that was 26th in goals against um having a 915 save percentage i think is what what he had across 20 something starts decord did this year but yeah that's pretty awesome um so you know if it wasn't for hogberg i would i would definitely give it to decord but i i do still think that 
I think Hogwarts better today. I think that's obvious um, than Decord. And I also think he probably has the highest ceiling, but I, we, I, I could be wrong about that in two years. I don't know. But yeah, yeah I think my, my best goalie award is, is Hogberg. Yeah. And uh, in terms of most valuable prospect, for me, again, it's an easy one. He's cleaned up on my ballot, but it's got to be Marcus Hogberg. He's one, I think, I don't think there were many people that expected Decord or Gustafson, or expected him to be better than Decord and Gustafson, this much better at this point. Uh, but he came up, he filled a void that needed to be filled. Um, you know, I think going into this year, in terms of the Senators' goaltender prospects, we were looking for one guy to emerge as head and shoulders above the other. Uh, and Hogberg did that. He stepped up to the NHL level. He filled the vacancy left by the injured Nilsson. And we'll wrap this up because this idiot's woken up and he started barking now. Um, but we'll do our best to wrap this up quickly. But, yeah, um, to me, I don't think there's any question that most valuable to the Ottawa Senators, most valuable to the Belleville Senators, it's Marcus Hogberg. I disagree. Ooh. Which is so exciting. On the big uh, one. On the big one, I think Josh Norris is the MVP. Mm. Uh, 31 goals, 30 assists. Uh, so the, the 30-30 club uh, through 50, I want to say four games, 56 games, 56 games. Um, in uh, As it comes to rookies in the AHL, Josh Norris was first in goals, fourth in assists, first in points, first in points per game, and first in shots of any rookie in the AHL this year. And I think that there were plenty of games that the Belleville Senators would not have won if it weren't for Josh Norris. So I'm giving him the prospect MVP award. It is hard to argue with that. I can't fault you for any of that. that. Um, um, Ballot's mostly similar. similar. I feel good about that because you obviously know more about Belleville than me. So I feel like I'm on the right track with things there. Spencer, my friend, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for doing it, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. I really enjoyed the chat. Yeah, me too. Spencer DJ Blake on Twitter, right? That's me. Cool. Everyone, make sure you go follow Spencer. Make sure to check both of us out at silver7sends.com. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. As always, it has been a pleasure. As always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at BrandonMackey6. You can find the podcast at Internal Budget. Please feel free to tweet either account. I check them both all the time. I'm lonely. It's We're social distancing, so make sure you check us out. Uh, if you like the podcast, and I'm sure you did if you've listened this long, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Spencer, guess who's coming on next week? Oh, you, you spoiled it for me earlier, but I'll let you do the big reveal. Well, you're supposed to play along, man. Damn it. Sorry, my bad, my bad. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Haley Salvian from The Athletic is coming on Internal Budget next week. Uh, We are so excited to have Haley. Make sure you follow her on Twitter if you haven't. She is The Athletic writer for the Ottawa Senators, and she is absolutely fantastic. It's going to be a great chat. It's going to be a great chat. Uh, Guys, once again, thank you so much. For Spencer Blake, I'm Brandon Mackey, signing off for another week of Internal Budget. We'll see you for the next one. Stay home, stay healthy, take care.